3: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: The problem with modern food is that we have this mentality that food should just stay the same. Like, just like our parents and their mentality of, like, being immigrants, they're frozen in time. But food isn't like that. And even in Korea, it's changed and it's mutated and it's evolved. Like, it has a right to do that here in in a way that makes sense to us as Korean American immigrants.
4: Welcome to Get Down with K-Town. I'm your host, Esther Choi. Practically every major city you go to, you'll always be able to find a K-Town. There's the obvious and largest Koreatown in LA and New York, but you'll also be able to find smaller K-Towns in cities such as Chicago, Dallas, Philadelphia, to name a few, and the up-and-coming unexpected K-Towns of Atlanta or Virginia. You'll always find pockets of Koreans everywhere. And of course, to tell you where to eat in these K-Towns is Matthew Kang. Matthew is the editor of Eater Los Angeles and the host of the series K-Town, a YouTube show about Korean food in America and beyond. I met Matt when he was covering New York City. I just opened my third restaurant, Miss You. Matt, you remember coming into my kitchen and making the rice stuffed whole chicken?
1: Yeah, it was great.
4: Yeah, I think that was the first time you actually came and cooked in the kitchen.
1: Yeah, I didn't really do that on any of my episodes.
4: So, So what'd you think? Was I hard on you?
1: No, it was fine, except I just got, like, the kimchi splattered all over my pink shirt. Oh, so I that remember was,
4: that. That's yeah. funny. And you were supposed to go out that night with that shirt.
1: I, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's it's the new perfume, kimchi.
4: Hey, it happened. Story <laughs> of my life, dude. So since then, we've become very fast friends, mainly through our love of Korean food and I can always depend on Matt for a delicious special meal out here in LA of course you know everything and everything about Korean food here welcome to the show Matt thanks for having me so I'm super excited to have you as my very first guest out here in LA because like who else would I talk to about LA's Koreatown especially about the food right I feel like there's
1: no one else you can talk to about just me (laughs)
4: Well, you're like my go-to, right? And (laughs) I feel like I always randomly just text you and say like, hey, what do you think about like this thing, this dish? What do you think about this dish? Where do do I go for this? And, you know, I'm like literally obsessed with LA's Koreatown.
1: Yeah. I always tell you, you should just move here. It would just be easier for your (laughs) psychology.
4: I know, right? Because I literally sometimes just dream about... LA's Korean food and take this with a grain of salt, but sometimes I say that cr- the Korean food out here in LA is better than Seoul's Korean food.
1: I think it's, it's an argument you can make. Uh, I have made similar assertions, especially about like Korean barbecue here. And I have received the wrath of uh, <laughs> Korean people uh, in Seoul and in Korea. They freak they, out. <laughs> yeah, they think I'm absolutely crazy and terrible and wrong. Which I might be. I don't I, I don't spend that much time in Korea. I haven't been there that much. I've been there four times in the last five years. So I don't think that's that much. I don't understand Korean food in Korea because I don't live there. Yeah. But I can take the small sample size that I have and compare it to what I get to eat on a fairly regular basis here in L.A. And I think the quality we have here is excellent. And other people confirm it to me. You know, Koreans, (laughs) yeah, like you and other Koreans come from Korea and they come to LA and they're like, dude, the barbecue here is amazing.
4: Why is it that people can compare the Korean food out in LA in America to Korean food in Korea?
1: There are so many factors. I think the easiest one is that what happens with immigrants is they come to the US and their Koreanness, it just stops, it gets shocked. And it's frozen in time, right? Which is like our parents' generation, they're still in the 70s in Korea. Yeah. Right? So it's not like they're thinking like modern Koreans in 2020. They're thinking like 1970s Koreans. And what do they want and what do they look for? What do they idealize, right? It's th- things that are a little more traditional, mm-hmm. um, things that they grew up with. And that's why a lot of times you end up with Korean restaurants and the people that frequent those restaurants, they're they're just more traditional, they're right. more, um, right. whereas you
4: know, in Korea it, it's constantly modernizing, right? Yeah. It's constantly changing the scene. Restaurants are constantly just being redeveloped.
1: Totally. I mean, you, if you look at, like, I went to Korea last year and I filmed the last season of my show,
4: which was so good, by the way.
1: <laughs> Thank you. It was it was fun. Um, I also nearly died of freezing because it's so freaking cold, but. Korea, Korean cuisine now in Seoul is so advanced and so beyond what I can imagine. It's really impressive. That's why there's a Michelin guide there. That's why there's world's 50 best Asia restaurants in, in Seoul. The Korean food scene in L.A. and America is very much just looking backwards, looking back at what's traditional, what's worked for generations. We don't really have... The luxury, oftentimes, to just go to the store and get pre-made items. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of times you have to make your own kimchi. You have to make your own ingredients, punch on totally from scratch. You don't have the option of just going to these industrial places and picking up ready-made stuff. Yeah, which tends to be the case in Korea, right? It's it's a lot of convenience, it's a lot of ready-made stuff, which is also true in America. Mm-hmm. But I think. If you look at the restaurants here, you went to uh, you went to dong last night, oh I saw. Oh, my God. That's right? like
4: my favorite restaurant in L.A., by the way.
1: It's unbelievable.
4: It's like grandma food.
1: It is. And if you look at the kitchen, it's still grandma's, and they're serving you at 11.30 p.m. That restaurant is open till midnight. I don't know how they do it. It might have 20 seats. And the menu is very small for a Korean restaurant. It, it, it might have small. 20 things, 15 things. That's
4: kind of like what I like about it, though, because that means the dishes that they do— it's special. It's that. It's good,
1: right? Of course, they know what they 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 can do well. The kitchen's small,
4: and all the food is like kimchi. It's like home food, like kimchi jjigae or like Um Kimchi is like a kimchi stew. jorim is like a stewed mackerel. It's like stuff that my mom and my grandma made me, and you can't really get that at a restaurant.
1: Yeah, well, they're hard and, to find. Yeah, and they're hard to find really good versions. Um And I think they do. They, it's like the most essential Korean food experience there. You get their panchan is absolute perfection. The rice is perfect. Everything about sitting in this tiny little place is like, I imagine in heaven, this is what a perfect Korean restaurant is like.
4: Yeah. Panchan, uh, by the way, is the little side dishes you get at a Korean restaurant, right? And those, the panchans for me are like, sort of the essential thing that makes a Korean restaurant good. Like if your bancheon is bad, I, I can't.
1: Yeah, it's sort of the <laughs> defining factor of what Korean a Korean meal is, right? Because if, let's like say you go to a sushi restaurant, then you're thinking about the, the rice or maybe the fish. I don't know. It depends on what your priorities are. Or if you go to a, um, a Chinese restaurant, then you're like, okay, I, I want to make sure that such and such a dish is going to be, Really, really good. Mm-hmm. When you go to a Korean restaurant, panchan is the indicator. It's it's the most difficult thing to make. There's m- usually um, six, eight, ten little dishes on the table. And the effort that's required to produce them is an indication of how serious this restaurant is.
4: Yeah, exactly.
1: And sambokdong is, like, is so consistent. I've been going there for over ten years. It's my go-to, especially because they're open late. Yeah. Um, and... I've, I don't think I've tried everything on the menu, but I'll put it this way. It was the place I took my grandfather when he was alive because he would go there for the peeping uh, pop. And if if he if I could impress him, then that was it.
4: So it's like LA's Koreatown is obviously like frozen in time. It's like Korea in its 70s or, or 80s, right? It's just kind of like frozen. And it's, it's a little sad because I feel that what happens when the grandmas all? You know what? What happens when the time passes and you know there are no grandmas anymore to be making the food in in the restaurant? Right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of happening. It's something that I actually want to investigate on Eater LA. Is a lot of the mom and pop, the grandma, you know, grandmas on the kitchen were they're on their last legs. They're ready to retire. They're ready to sell. You know, if you think about Korean immigration starting in Koreatown and. The 1970s, the early 1970s, right? Now it's 50 years later, right? Those people who opened restaurants, who came because they had no choice, they couldn't speak the language, Mm -hmm. right? So they're like, we're going to cook food. They're retiring and maybe their children took over, but oftentimes their children's children are like the next generation. It's not like our parents wanted us to be restaurant owners, (laughs) Uh, I mean, even though you are one, (laughs) right? No, they want us to be doctors and lawyers and businessmen and businesswomen. And so what happens is these traditional restaurants, after that first generation, you're going to start seeing a decline, unfortunately. Or the number of places that are carried on by the children is going to be extremely rare. So, this one restaurant I really enjoy is called Chunwon.
4: You didn't tell me about this one.
1: You should go there. Oh my gosh, oh, it's okay. incredible. Tell
4: me all about it.
1: Um, they're also, their menu's a little bit bigger than Sanbok mm-hmm.
4: um,
1: But my favorite thing there, they have Undego Jorim.
4: Oh, you love which, your. Um, yeah, I
1: like my braised fish.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I, so do I. And I really appreciate that because it's not something that you order. I mean, like, no one would be like, okay, go order the braised fish at this Korean barbecue restaurant.
1: Yeah. Which you made me do <laughs> at
4: Park's barbecue. I'm like, why am I ordering a braised fish? But right it was now? so and good, right? It was the best thing I had there. So
1: I order that. I order the Pulsam there, which mm-hmm. is um, you know, sort of a steamed braised uh, pork belly. I mean, they're just to me, there are these dishes in these Korean restaurants that are definitive. They're 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 outside the beginner. Step of Korean food, right? If you ask anybody that knows anything about Korean food, you have kimchi, pibinbap, Korean barbecue, <laughs> and uh, that's I don't kind know, of it. Maybe that's it, right? Yeah. So when I go to places like Chunwon and Sambukdong, I want to show people the next level. You know, mm-hmm. the, what's the next stage of the Korean food experience? And to me, those are braised dishes, steam dishes, home style dishes that actually have a lot of complexity yeah. and a lot of different layering to them. And especially when you put them all on a table and eat them together, there's something, I think, very transportative about that experience.
4: Also, those are the best dishes, honestly. I mean, of, of course, Korean barbecue and all that is great. And I know that's one of your favorite Korean foods because you listed it on your, on your top three. But to me, I guess because I just love these, like, homestyle meals, like Korean food. Those braised fishes, uh, fermented crab, like that's the that's the shit that I like, right? And I feel like if your palate is sophisticated enough, you will learn to love it too. Like you can't really go back after eating, if after trying the raw fermented crab, dude, that that that's just the bomb,
1: right? Like, yeah, and I I made a video asserting uh-huh. that kanjang gejang, which is uh raw, uh, sorry, marinated fermented crab, is the most. Uh, What was the word I used? Like the most refined or the most elegant Korean dish because it involves um, sort of an ancient preparation. Um, It's a dish that was very traditional. um, But the amount of complexity in the flavor, I mean, you're eating crab that has just been sitting around in some, some marinade for like three days. I mean, uh, it
4: sounds a little bit disturbing. And honestly, when I do eat it, even when I post it on my Instagram, I get a little bit paranoid. Like, oh, my gosh, does this look really gross to a non-Korean?
1: It does look gross. It's snotty <laughs> and it looks g- gloopy and it, it's nasty. It looks nasty.
4: <laughs> it's Just objectively.
1: But it's and so you what you got to do is you got to take the carcass and you kind of like you got to squeeze out some of the meat and literally suck it out. Right? Yeah, you're sucking the life out of this dead creature, which
4: and it is, has like kind of like this weird slimy texture. It's not just absolutely no texture. It's just like a
1: no. I mean, I like I, I kind of liken it to bone marrow, mm-hmm. but cold. Okay, yeah. Right, cold. it's got that like just fatty butteriness and uh, the incredible sweetness of the crab. Right, and. And then when you just get the um, sort of this glazing of fermentation and things that just only time and bacteria can make awesome,
4: it's a delicacy. Like who it is. thought of doing that, right?
1: I think it was just a matter of preservation, right? It's like yeah. why is salami and cheese and all those things good? It's like oh, let's like put it to the side. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll stay good and won't kill us, right? And it's not like you can buy, go to the ocean and be like, let's get one crab. No, you're going to go and you're going to get a thousand crabs. Like, <laughs> oh, shit, we got a problem here. Yeah. <laughs> like,
4: okay, what are we going to do with all this crab right. that's and so fermented? This, it,
1: and, you know, and I think it's a matter of, like, figuring out, okay, this is this is delicious. And, yeah, when you talk about kanjang gejang or chorim or other sort of homey dishes, I, I think – I don't think that it requires a palate or uh, experience – I just think it's just a matter of diving in. And if I give these dishes to people that have never tried, as long as they're willing to suck out some crab or, (laughs) you know, eat eat this huge, like, uh, you know, this quote-unquote ugly, delicious David Chang type thing where you eat this dish, you're like, I don't know if I can eat this, and um, you dive in, I think 99% of people love it.
4: Yeah. I mean, there's something so special about Korean food. So obviously, we can go on and on about Korean dishes because both of us... (laughs) Kind of obsession uh, with our—we have this love affair with Korean food. But I have to ask you about traveling and eating throughout all the K-towns in the country. Like, what was that like? Because every Koreatown is so different, right?
1: Yeah, that was really special. Uh, I did—I think I did nine seasons of my show. Uh, And I went to places like Atlanta, Dallas, Chicago, obviously L.A. and uh, New York. And the weird one was Toronto— Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I have relatives that live in Toronto. So that was interesting to see. And I saw that at least for the, I don't want to say lesser, but the second tier Korean towns, yeah. uh, which are basically not L.A. or New York.
4: Because the Korean community is just not as big there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: just just functionally. I, I would say the one thing that stuck out to me was that the fewer Koreans there are, I think the uh, the more Korean you are. Right. As a, as a Korean American living in, living in Atlanta or even more like Dallas, right? The Koreans in Dallas, they're just like fiercely. Are they gung-ho? Yeah. They're so proud. And they're like, this is who we are. Like KP. And it's like, I mean, think about how heavy of a contrast that is, right? LA and New York are very international. Not to say that Dallas isn't international, but dude, you're in the middle of Texas. There's nothing more American than Texas. One of these guys is uh, Chris Cho, uh, who's a chef in Philadelphia, Oh, and, Chris Cho. Yeah.
4: yeah, I know Chris. Uh, he's <laughs> so an, funny. He's
1: an incredible character. He's, he's, a, he's second yeah, generation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, restaurant owner. His father opened the restaurant. And it's like this guy is – he's more passionate about Korean food than I am by far. And it's because – I think it's because he's in Philly, which is like a smaller community of Koreans, yeah. like a lot older. It's a little more spread out. They Their K-Town is not as cohesive mm-hmm. as like let's say Atlanta's is. And – It was really, really beautiful to see the contrast and see all the people who, you know, are representing Korean food in far-flung places, even in Toronto. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Um, What was
4: that like in in Canada?
1: uh, To be super honest, I don't think I had the best Korean food there. Okay. But I do think the people I met were incredible. I think that it, it didn't surprise me. Did you watch Kim's Convenience?
4: Yes, a few episodes.
1: Right. Like it didn't surprise me that that show was based in Toronto mm-hmm. because there is a substantial Korean population there and there's like m- waves of Korean. There's like a – they call it the North Korea and the South Korea, basically the old Korea town and the new Koreatown. And it was really interesting to be there. I had literally arrived maybe a couple of weeks or a week after the terrible tragedy of the, the crazy uh, van driver mm-hmm. who like ran over a bunch of people and killed them in um, Toronto in Toronto mm-hmm. and it was like that happened in one of the Koreatowns and i remember driving by the memorial there's all these like flowers like oh my gosh and it was interesting cuz that really galvanized and brought together the korean community like who are we what are we doing here we're in this land we're in canada what's our place here
3: mm-hmm. and
1: you know cuz they cuz they literally received that direct attack and what was super interesting was that there was an Im- immense sense of pride and identity people saying i'm korean i'm canadian I belong here. I want to be here. I'm a part of this this city and this country. Mm -hmm. And the way that they projected that in strength was through food, right? Through these restaurants, through markets. They are a big part of that community. And wherever I was, um, I think in in America, in American K towns, everybody had an opinion and something to say about. Oh yeah, like K town. They all have a story. Whether you're Korean or not, you live in Dallas, you live in Atlanta, you live in Chicago. Everybody has something to say about a Korean food experience they've had. And it's because of the Korean Americans living in those cities.
4: That's right. Going back to Toronto, real quick, what do you mean by the old K Town and new K Town? So it's like separated? There's like a new K-town right. and old So they
1: K-town. had um there was a Korea town. I know that it's that mm-hmm. that relationship is very interesting with Korean Americans because I think as in many immigrant communities, you have a ground zero. You have a place that t- tends to be a little bit more in the city. That's where the immigrants will first land. Uh-huh. And then as they develop their careers, as they get more money and they want to send their kids to better schools, they, they move outward. So in Toronto especially, there was a place – I think it was called – I'm terrible. I can't remember the name. But there was like one street where it was like Korean restaurants and businesses on you know every block – stacked up high and was sort of like not not quite as impressive as like Manhattan's K Street as I like to call mm-hmm. it but it was a smaller version of that and it was like that's where I had hodoguaja you know which is like I literally went to this place that sells
4: That's, that's these, crazy that they have that I know
1: so hodoguaja is a little uh, walnut shaped confection baked dessert thing um, that's filled with red bean or other fillings and it was literally a store that only made that.
4: I feel like in Korea it's hard to find that. No,
1: I I yeah, remember having like, that on like road trips that's in like Korea.
4: Nineties like sh- Korean street food that it's, you don't like really find anymore.
1: Exactly, and it, there was a place, there was a shop that only sold that that's in so Toronto, funny. and I was like, wow, that's amazing. I had to do a video there, which I did. Yeah. So there's that. You sort of the old Korea town, like the old. You have very traditional restaurants, and then in the northern Korea town, as they called it, that's where the unfortunate tragedy happened that's where it's a lot more spread out like more new restaurants and they have boba shops put in there it's It's more modern modern, yeah it Mm -hmm. sort of feels a little bit like uh, yeah up to date
0: ready okay give me a beach beach
2: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
3: Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.
1: So speaking of
4: modernized Korean food, you know I'm going to ask you this. what What's your opinion on like the rise of Korean food in the fine dining scene? Obviously, you know we have like Otto Boy Otto Mix like all these Korean restaurants now winning Michelin stars and Korean food being Korean food in this new light
1: I've I've had a great opportunity to try elevated quote unquote elevated refined ambitious fine dining Korean food mainly in New York also in Chicago um, there's a couple of newer places I haven't had the chance to go to but None in LA Um <sighs> I guess not. Not really. We did have a place here called Buru. Oh, that was that's excellent. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was not fine dining at all. It was very simple.
4: But still modernized Korean food. I mean, when True. I say fine dining, I mean like more modernized Korean food. Korean food done in a way where we haven't seen before.
1: I think there's sort of two schools of thought to that. I think the first one was that you see Korean food – adapting to American palates, to American, familiar American presentations. You could call it watering down, all these things. I think that's one way of looking at it. And a lot of Koreans I know, they look at these expensive Korean restaurants in New York City and they go, yeah, it's just not as good as like traditional, you know, places. And it's because there's this assumption that the chefs and the places making this food did it so that they could appeal to a wider audience. I think that's secondary to the first one, which I hope is that I think Koreans, especially our generation, we want to make food that is interesting and fun and Uh, adheres to sort of the cooking methods that we learned. If you ask a lot of these chefs, most of them had some sort of classical training. They worked in a French or an Italian or an American restaurant. And a lot of them will tell you they didn't learn, they did not go to Korean culinary school. They didn't go to Korea to learn Korean food. They're just using the flavors that they know from home or from wherever that their mom taught them or grandma taught them. It's just what they grew up with. It's what they grew up with. So... I think if, if I remember thinking to myself 10 years ago, I was like, if I could open a restaurant, which I would never do now. But if I if I would, I would open like a gastropub, but with like Korean pub food, but sort of done my way. Right. And, and I think.
4: okay, What do you mean? Like, give me an example. Uh, I'll
1: give you an example. Like, um, you know, I invented this dish that I, I know other people have stolen from me, but <laughs> I, I've written the I wrote the recipe of it and put it on my old blog. But it was like kimchi bokkeumbap arancini. Right? So, you Mm -hmm. take pokumbap, kimchi fried rice, and then you make it a little different, and then you put it into a little knob of cheese in there, cover it, uh, and then bread it, and then fry it like a risotto arancini. Yeah. Right? It's very simple, but it's like a new way of delivering kimchi fried rice. Yeah. And did I have to do it that way? No, but I think it's fun because I really like arancini. I love risotto. And it was just a fun new presentation. And I think people want, they have, have a desire to try something different with their food, um, whether they want to charge more, they want to use luxury ingredients. I think that's totally fine. But ultimately, good food is good food, regardless of what you charge for or regardless of the shape it takes. I can admit that there are some modern Korean restaurants that, like, I don't see what the point is. Because what they're doing is something that is not – is a worse version, essentially, of what you can get in a traditional okay, restaurant. You,
4: you need to give me an example. Because you know, I'm going to ask you.
1: Okay, so I'll give you an example, and I'm just stating what other people state uh, are saying. It's I don't fine. necessarily agree I mean, with it, but like, let's like say a-, a prime example of a modernized Korean restaurant that opened and failed in Los Angeles was Pot. From Roy Choi. Okay. So Roy yeah. Choi is one of the most prominent Korean-American chefs. I have a lot of respect for him. He opened pot like four years, five years ago in the Line Hotel in the middle of Koreatown. I mean, you you cannot make a bigger statement than like the biggest, one of the biggest Korean-American chefs going to open a Korean restaurant in a Korean hotel in K- Koreatown. It was I mean, major.
4: That's major. It's huge.
1: And it was very poorly received. A lot of my friends went. They were like, yeah, you know, like. Oh, so expensive. And I could just get a cheaper version of that, like, two blocks away, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, like, those restaurants don't have cool music and nice chairs and a good ambiance and and theoretically better service. You know, this people did the typical immigrant thing of, like, complaining about this stuff. And in my mind, I was like, guys— don't you see that there's something really cool that Roy is doing?
4: You know, you know that's kind of crazy because being on the East Coast in New York City and seeing Roy Choi open pot, I remember when it first opened and there was a lot of publicity around it. I remember thinking like, oh my God, that restaurant is so cool. I want to go there. I can't wait to eat there. And to me, it looked, the menu looked like super interesting. It was very Korean American, uh, just something different. And to me, I was like, this is awesome. But but it was sad to see that it was actually not the case in, in terms of execution. Or do you think it was execution or do you think it was concept-driven?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't know why restaurants close. Um, I and mean, there's a
4: million reasons there's why a million, restaurants close. Yeah, closed. exactly. Let, let's be real. It, I mean, sometimes it's the food. Sometimes it's not the food. There's so many
1: yeah. layers. I of- think if he opened that restaurant in Santa Monica uh, or in West Hollywood or even in Silver Lake— it he chose
4: K-Town. Why? That's interesting, right? Uh,
1: I mean, that's probably – he had a deal with the hotel, the line hotel, to okay. do all their food and beverage, right? Mm-hmm. So it's probably something like that. Just sort of finishing my I, my thought about modern Korean food. Yeah, um, I think there's a place for it. Uh, I think there needs to be – you need to communicate if you're a, an owner or a chef of, of one of these restaurants. You need to communicate very clearly like, hey – this isn't your grandma's food. It's not gonna be. It's not gonna be as cheap as you know the pulsum that you spent in Koreatown. That's twenty five bucks. This is gonna be forty bucks, and it's not just because we're using more expensive ingredients. Like the cost of something is not just like what's on the menu and then what's on the plate. There's a lot more than that. People don't understand. But more than that, I think you have to like you also have to do something new with it and and c- convey like okay, I'm gonna make pulsum, but I'm gonna do it with I don't know beef belly or lamb belly. I'm Tell gonna do story. lamb belly pulsum. That changes the way you see what the cuisine is and what, c- what it can be. Because I think ultimately the problem with modern food is that we have this mentality that food should just stay the same. Like just like our parents and their mentality of like being immigrants, they're frozen in time. But food isn't like that. And even in Korea, it's changed and it's mutated and it's evolved. Like it has a right to do that here in, in a way that makes sense to us as Korean-American immigrants. Right. So if I want to do a, a Korean style burger or a Korean style pizza or whatever, then that's my way. And that's how that's an expression of who I am. And and just make it good, make it balance all the fundamentals of what makes food good. Just keep to that. And I think you'll be fairly successful.
4: It's just being a little bit more open minded about what Korean food can be.
1: Right. And communicating that to your customers. You know, I, I would say I remember there was a bar in uh, Atlanta. And these dudes, I, it was like a brother and sister, and, like, it was this bar, just a like cocktail bar, and they happened to have all this, like, Korean bar food. And it was, you know, sort of, like, Southern inflected. Okay. And it was really chill. And if you talk to the guys, I don't think they spoke any Korean. I mean, at least, I don't think the brother spoke any Korean. He's a great dude. He wasn't like, oh, this is going to be as good as your, you know, the bars that you went to growing up. This is just our version of it. And he owned it. He believed in it. It was Really approachable, and it was super successful. I mean, mm-hmm. when I was filming in there, I was getting bombarded by like a hundred people trying to jam into this place. It was very popular, and I was happy for them That's because awesome. they were using just a typical cocktail spot, serving some bar food, but but doing it their way with Korean food. And I I, I had a lot of respect for that.
4: That's awesome. I and mean, they're doing it in in Atlanta. Too. In Atlanta, yeah,
1: yeah, which Love is that. not a place that a lot of you know non Koreans would think of as like a mm-hmm. place for Korean food.
4: What do you think of about the future of Korean food? You know, just like not only in America but globally.
1: Well, I think I think what Korean food hopefully will forge its own path. You know, it's I don't want it to end up um, I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it would be unfortunate if it sort of end, went the way of let's say Chinese food, which I love Chinese food. But it sort of, at least in America, went to this place where it was sort of unrecognizable, right?
4: But it's circling back now.
1: It is in major cities. But, like, if you ask an average American what Chinese food, they'll tell you orange chicken, chow mein, and, um, you know, chow fun.
4: But I love that. Which those are great. (laughs) And
1: those are also, in their way, Chinese. but. Uh I think because they were first, because Chinese food in particular from Asia was the first cuisine to come to the U.S., to have to be adapted, to have to be morphed and molded so that Americans would like it. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So I hope that Korean food doesn't go that way. I also hope that Korean food doesn't go the way of, um, let's say, Japanese food, which I love Japanese food. But I also think that Japanese food has been reduced essentially for Americans to ramen and sushi. That's what most Americans think of as Japanese food, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? And they revere sushi. They revere ramen. But there's not a think, lot of nuance there. And
4: also it is like mainstream if you think about it. Oh, um, yeah. But it's a little bit inevitable for it to go to that place. Maybe i will come back. But don't you think Korean barbecue is kind of that?
1: Korean barbecue and is? they are the sushi and ramen of Korean food. And they're already there. But what I hope happens is that traditional dishes and traditional preparations can be presented in a way so that the average diner will love and enjoy them in a way that, um, you know, some Chinese regional cuisines are being appreciated. Sichuan cuisine, for example, right? People are recognizing that's a region of China. We should have these dishes. These are all the dishes. Some of them are going to be familiar. Some of them are not. But that's what that region is similar to maybe Thai cuisine and regional Thai flavors. If you look in L.A., Night Market, all these other restaurants, they're not just like serving pad thai. And in fact, if you go there and just order pad thai, they're going to be like, what else do you want? Because there's so much more here. And I hope I hope that Korean food reaches that point so that if I go to Denver or if I go to Salt Lake City, I'm going to be able to eat tteokbokki and seollongtang and all these things that are a little bit a little bit not familiar to right now. But become part of the canon of what Korean food is.
4: Oh, that's like my dream.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that's what I hope, and I think I'm seeing we're seeing that in Los Angeles. I would say, it LA's Koreatown. Coming back to that, is incredibly resilient. You know, had to endure economic downturns, riots. Right, uh, LA's Koreatown has been through a lot, but it has the geographical advantage of being in the center of LA versus other immigrant communities. So because it's in the middle of LA, it's prospering and it's become very, very internationalized. And it's not just Korean. And in fact, it, it hasn't really ever been Korean. It's actually yeah. Le- a huge, Latino, right? Yeah, there's a huge Latino population. There's a Bangladeshi population. So it's sort of a it's an interesting place. But what I love is that the restaurants are recognizing the Korean ones are like, let's appeal to everyone. You know, let's put the menus in English, let's put them on pictures, let's specialize in good dishes and just and let those dishes shine. Like, I just went to a Kaguksu place yesterday, right? Oh, and how was that? It was delicious. And they have four menu items. You know, they have. I
4: love specialized that. They have, have a scallion like
1: pancake, they have balsam, yeah. and then they have two different kinds of knife cut noodles. And it was great because. They were super easy. It was very affordable. It was very welcoming. Anybody can go there. And I hope that they succeed.
4: Do you know uh, what's interesting when you said LA's Koreatown is kind of in the central of all LA? You know, K-Town in New York is that way too. It's on 32nd Street, right? in Midtown Manhattan, like smack in the middle of New York City. So I I just think that that's interesting, right? As Koreans?
1: Sure. Because I think as a New Yorker or an Angelino, you're going to interact with Koreatown at some point.
4: Do so you think Koreans? It was predestined. Like we, we literally thought about that before. No, no,
1: nope. <laughs> I don't think so. I like to tell people is that if you look at Koreatown and you sort of took away some of the modern things about it, it looks like the Mad Men era. It's because a lot of these buildings are mo- international modern style from the 1960s, mm-hmm. right? And it was this uh, one of the main like office centers of Los Angeles in the 1960s. Then white flight happened, so then you get all these people. Leaving the area and you had empty office buildings, you had basically all this great uh, bones for a community. And so that's when the Koreans go in and they're like, hey, we can set up office here. We can set up business. This is where we can, you know, thrive. And this and L.A.'s Koreatown is in a way just like New York. It's just the hub of the spoke that goes out into like nine or ten different communities all around this, you know, Southern California. But LA's Koreatown Town is ground zero. It's where all the churches are, it's where all the accountants are, it's where, you know, the also radio outside, stations.
4: America's first Korea town. Yes. Probably.
1: Uh I mean, maybe there was one in some other city that I don't know about, but <laughs> uh, I mean it's it's the it is the quintessential K-town. And I remember talking to Matt Rodberg, who who, along with Dookie Hong, wrote the Koreatown cookbook. Yeah. You know, I helped him along with it. I, you know, showed him around, just showed him my favorite spots. And they wanted to understand. Because the book was called K-Town, yeah. Koreatown. But he's from New York. And I was like, yeah. Like, he obviously recognized that LA, there was something special about LA's Koreatown. So we we went together. I took him around, um, showed him my favorite spots. And he, like, I gave him the best picture I could of, like, hey, this is Koreatown, not Korea Street. Right. Which it's is a town.
4: Yeah, which, which in New York it's a street. Right. It's it's yeah.
1: main it's mainly a street. But in LA it's like I feel like it's a neighborhood that you kind of plucked out of Seoul. Right? It feels like a little like cross maybe like half of Itaewon just got pulled out and you just pulled it put it down in Los Angeles yeah. is, is sorta of the vibe.
4: Which is why I love LA so much because of the Korea town here. I feel like I'm in Korea, but not in Korea, which is great, too.
1: Right? Yeah, right. I know. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, crap that happens when, you, when you're when you in Korea proper. But L.A. is so immersive that you can literally go your whole life and never learn English. My grandfather never learned English. He lived in America for 40-something years.
0: Yeah, it's uh, pretty I incredible. Have,
1: yeah, I have a lot of people I know that are my age, that are in their 30s. They immigrated here, right? They can't speak English. <laughs>
4: That's crazy. Because
1: they don't need to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, or, or they struggle with English uh, because Koreatown is just that perfect of a community.
4: Okay. We get it. You love LA, Koreatown, and Koreatown in LA is like the shit. I get it. No, it has its
1: <laughs> problems too. And I'm happy to tell you, talk to you about them. That was true. It's not, <laughs> yeah. But yes, I do, you know, I, I think I have a lot of pride and I think I enjoy what how K-Town is this sort of physical embodiment of our community Mm -hmm. um, and how it's all of its nuances and its warts and ugliness, you know, comes along with the glitz and glamour. And that's because I think that's who we are as a people, too. I think Koreans, I've always been preached by my parents, like, we're the best. You know, Korea is the best. Korean number one, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I'm a realist, too. You know, there's we are not the best. There's no best people. That's how bad things happen. You know, I think that there's admirable things about the Korean American community, about Koreans and what Koreans do in Korea and our relationship to them. But there's also things that we have to recognize and be like, Hey, that's not okay. That's not good. We need to change that. We need to make this better. Mm -hmm. Um, And how you do that, I think as You and me, and our generation, how do we instill that in future generations, in in our children, which we don't have, but if we do have children, how am I going to tell my kids, like, hey, you are Korean, you know, but take this stuff with you, but leave that stuff behind.
0: Ready? Let's go.
1: I do this thing with, with my guests. I
4: cook your favorite dish. And you had to name, I mean, I'm in L.A. right now, right? So I don't have a proper kitchen to cook it. And you named, like, the three most impossible things that I could cook. I mean, here, at least. What named. did I name? So you you said yukgyejang, which is like a spicy beef stew. Um, and seollongjang, which is like a bone broth soup that you have to freaking cook for like three days and Korean barbecue which you have to like go to a restaurant to eat which I did I did do a Korean barbecue thing for you so I brought LA kalbi okay LA kalbi I mean it's probably not the Korean barbecue that you were thinking but everybody in America as a Korean has had LA kalbi once in their life right um yes for sure I think
1: I mean, LA Galiby, uh is a, basically it's a short rib that's cut into like the laterally. Yeah. So I've been told that LA actually stands for lateral axis, not for Los Angeles.
4: That is true, but everyone thinks of LA kalbi as like LA kalbi from LA.
1: Sure. California. I mean, it's the only kalbi that I really knew growing up, so it made sense to me that yeah. people called it LA kalbi. And then, I mean, like, that's
4: what my mom said to me too. Because <laughs> it's like from like LA, LA, California, LA. Like that came. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because everyone has their own interpretation, but obviously it's because of the cut of the short rib.
1: Yes, that, that seems to make more sense. But I think more than anything, it's the ergonomic beauty of, of the way that this meat is cut. So it's a short rib, but the three bones are still attached to it. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a little, like a, I don't even know, it's like handheld, it's finger food. Because you can—that's how you, I eat it. Yeah,
4: because you you hold the bone yeah. with your two fingers. You hold the
1: bone, and then just the meat just presents itself to you, and you you kind of hold it with both of your mitts, and uh, it's almost like a piece slice of watermelon where you're just like, ah, yeah. you know, and you get to you get to go down on the on on the 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 amazing grilled beef, marinated. It's usually like this gorgeous brown color. It's glistening with fat. Uh, I mean, yeah, it is perfect. I'm glad you brought me some. It's so where good. And it? then, you
4: know, the great thing about LA Kybe is different from Korean barbecue that you do at the restaurant, which the meat is obviously cut in this beautiful way where you're not eating like sinew or like bone parts and you're just eating like the short rib part. The beauty of LA Kybe, though, is the sinew that you can like eat around the bone.
1: Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Well, it's funny because, and this is slightly embarrassing, I hate that part.
4: Oh my god I knew you were gonna hit it. See, there's some people that don't eat it. Like my sister does not and I judge her. I'm so judgmental of the people that don't eat that sinew. That's the best part, dude.
1: I mean I take I like to like take it and then just gnaw it all the way until the sinew. You just like
4: eat the good part and then you're like, Oh, you guys can eat like the sinew bone. Yeah, I know. Part. My like, mom would
1: always pick this up and look at me be like, Why aren't you eating this? It's just like
4: shameful. Well um,
1: I right, blame wow, my bad spoiled. jaws. I have like really bad jaws. You're just, spoiled. you know, I have TMJ. <laughs> I'm probably spoiled too. But I was like, nah, man, I can't, I can't chew on this, dude. This is, I'm not supposed to chew on that part.
4: That's funny. <laughs> I knew you. Ah, oh, man, that's so upsetting. Okay, so.
1: Oh, that smells good.
4: So, LA kibbeh. I marinated this last night, and I don't know about you, but with LA kibbeh, I've always in it with like kimchi and rice and that's it like I don't need you don't need like the lettuce wrap the sam and the samjang no all that. no yeah because LA kalbi it's, it's not like that right no You're, because
1: you know why and we talked about this mm-hmm.
4: it's no this is picnic yeah, food exactly you eat it with your two fingers no
1: this yeah, rem- it's
4: a picnic food right like I remember
1: church. yeah you go to church and they literally give you big white plastic buckets full <laughs> of marinated kalbi and so then you know the dads would go to the grill. And they'd slap on, you know, just layer yeah. after layer. It was like waves of just, like, kalbi. And, you know, your job was to take it and, and they would have this big aluminum tray piled with LA kalbi. And you would just— Piled. Yeah. And, and, and like, at least for me, I wouldn't even have kimchi. I would just have rice.
4: Yeah. You, I mean, you really don't need anything. You just need this, yeah. like— It's LA kind of a like, perfect
1: food. It is. But
4: so, I brought you kimchi. And,
1: no, I like kimchi now.
4: I would have made that kimchi if you were in New York, obviously. And I would have had a different meal for you in New York. But this is so L.A. This is so you, Matt Kang.
1: This, Yeah, this, so, this is. Okay, this is so
4: so please try it. See how this differs from your, your church picnic, L.A. Garby. Why don't
1: you tell me how you marinated this while I eat it?
4: <laughs> well, first of all, soy sauce. I mean, it's very simple. Soy sauce, sugar. Garlic, sesame oil, some pear. I put pear in um, and onion. I actually use shallot because that's mm. what I had. Um, but I like really the shallot, legit. right? The shallots are nice.
1: So oh, it's really like good. Starch. Oh, I like the hepan too.
4: I love hepan. Hipon is uh, the microwavable rice that you mm. buy, and it's so convenient. And I, but I love it the rice is so perfect in hepan. I have that at home all mm. the time. Don't judge um, me, guys.
1: I don't judge you, but I swear, when these first started hitting the market when I was a kid, my mom was like, "Those are toxic." Yeah,
4: yeah, but n- you know, like everyone in Korea eats on. Like all, like the like all the shows, like the shows in Korea, like everyone's eating hipan. Hipan is like such a such an essential. If
1: I invented this, business. I would be a billionaire.
4: That guy probably is a billionaire. I love hipan. Hmm. So, mm. can you describe the flavors for our listeners? Sorry, guys. Now you guys got to go mm. look up L.A. Garby and try to make it yourself because no restaurant sells L.A. Garby. Actually, BCD Tofu has L.A. Garby.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can find it uh, it's hard sort to. of— It always comes out pre-grilled on, like, the metal cast iron tray yeah. with, like, uh, sliced onions on the bottom. Um, only
4: BCD tofu has that.
1: It's kind of rare. It's, I mean, why would you eat this when you could just eat, like, regular carby short rib? There's um, something
4: about LA carby that's just different.
1: Um, okay, let me tell you <laughs> what I'm eating. So, it's a nicely browned, pog or domino-sized pieces of meat, right, that are just barely hanging on for dear life on the sinew. <laughs> and the um,
3: fat.
1: Yeah, and... The marinade's really good. I, I would say what I like about it is that it's heavier on the soy than the sweetness, mm-hmm. but you still have that sweetness. You want that sweetness, but it's a multi-layered sweetness because you're also getting some of that from, uh, you said there was shallot. shallot? And, uh,
4: and I used um, organic cane sugar.
1: Oh, organic. I mean, that's, <laughs> if you don't do organic, then why live? <laughs>
4: but it's a little less sweet than yeah. regular white sugar, so.
1: I like that, and... Um, You know, you definitely get some of the aromatics of the garlic and and other stuff. It's textbook. I think you did a fantastic job. You only marinated this for one night?
4: One night. Yep. It's very good. 24 hours. Mm. Does it just remind you of childhood? When I eat galbi, I just, like, think of, like, my mom and grandma. Mm. And church. Church. Church is a big L.A. galbi
1: thing. See, it's interesting about... Short rib, when you cook it this way, I think like, what yeah, happens— Like on a
4: pan, right? Right, on a pan,
1: yeah. not on a grill.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Is that the sort of the, the fat that's embedded into the meat gives it this very satisfying chewiness. You know, it's not tender like steak. You're not—and what's different about kalbi is that it's clearly not steak.
4: It's chewy.
1: It's a little chewier. It's a little—it's got a little more like, you know— Jaw action. Yeah. And as you're chewing it, the fat and all the, like, flavor just sort of just—it just comes out. Yeah. And you get a lot more than what you would get from another another piece of meat.
4: I think so, too, because, because it's chewy. You're, like, chewing in it, and as you chew, you all, get all these layers of flavor that's different than just melt in your mouth, right? Like, all of a sudden, it becomes sweeter. Then it's sometimes, like— why do people eat beef jerky? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they I chew mean, on it, and it gets more kuzoe. How do you even say kuzoe? Savory,
1: satisfying, yeah. I don't even know.
4: There's no direct translation. Like, for I the say, word,
1: you know, <laughs> it's like, comforting. I don't know. Like, jerky is a fantastic example or sort of analog because you're getting these little pieces of meat. They're already bite-sized. And um, they're just very – it's very satisfying to hold the bone. It's so primal, right? Because you're like gnawing meat yep. off of bone. And, um, you know, it was not until recently where you you wouldn't get steak on bones. You would get them – you would not never see bones of an animal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, with things like bone and ribeye or barbecue, like, obviously, it's more satisfying. That's where the good meat is.
4: The, the meat that's closest to the bone for mm. me is always the best – flavor yeah. which is why i love eating the sinew. no yeah.
1: i mean i'll eat it now so mean, look, you, see, don't look.
4: Do. you don't have to eat like that. i'm pulling yeah. it apart oh man for me like chewing on that like i mean it gets stuck in your teeth and whatever but
1: see i think that's why i don't like it because i have gaps in my teeth now i'm old and like that <laughs> that stuff gets stuck in there
4: uh floss dude
1: you know how much floss i have <laughs> I have at least, okay, you know those instant environmentally terrible flossing things? I have hundreds of them.
4: Oh, I think I saw it in your car, too. Oh, my, oh my God.
1: Wait, was it a fresh one or a used one?
4: Oh, God. <laughs> Matt? <laughs> Jeez. I mean, I'm not
1: going to throw it away
4: <laughs>
1: in the street. It's it gonna, out the
4: window. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, the I, every, every time I go to the gas station, I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably, like, throw these away. That's yeah.
4: hilarious. Or somebody
1: gets disgusted. Um, but, yeah, you know, with the rice, you have the, the sort of clean, satisfying, carby, warm rice, and then you finish it off. I think this is your ginger to your sushi is, you know, the crunchy, acidic, tangy, fermented, spicy kimchi. Yeah. And that's just – all that fat just washes away off your palate, and you just want to repeat. And it's just like one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Right. Until all the carby has gone. And then your mom comes to eat the sinew off all the bones. You're, you didn't you're
4: making our listeners – so hungry
1: right now I don't want to like more dish like
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so Matt uh, where can people find you social media handles etc
1: um let's see I'm on Instagram and Twitter at um, Mattatui. so instead of rat it's matT so it's my favorite
4: Instagram handle by the way that's Thank like, you. so clever it's yeah I love it and that's our show. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Get Down with K-Town is a production of iHeartRadio and was created by our executive producer, Christopher Haciotis, and me, Esther Choi. Follow me on all social media at Toy Bites. And I'd also like to thank our producer, editor, and mixer, Marcy Tapina. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.